Hello, and welcome back to the Irish Football Fans Podcast. I'm Joseph McCarthy of the Irish Abroad website, and I'm joined by Mark Kennedy of Hawkeye Psychic and Philip Flanagan of the Bottomless Pit of Football. We're looking forward to the first Irish Internationals of 2022. We're just going to discuss the squads uh, announced by Stephen Kenny. Unfortunately, there's already been pullouts from it. And we're going to have a brief chat about the underage sides playing in the elite rounds of qualifying uh, over the next uh, week and a half. Mark, Phil, it's good to talk to you again. How, how are you both doing? Yeah, all good, Joe. Yeah, very good. Just recovering from a stag party in Dingle last weekend. What a town. So, all good, though. How are you, lads? All good here, down west. Stuff. If we start with the Belgium game that's going ahead on Saturday evening, the centenary match, marking uh, 100 years uh, of the FAI, uh, Belgium had already announced that they were not going to pick anyone for their squad who, with more than 50 caps, but they've still named uh, an impressive team with names that would be probably more familiar, like uh, Simon Mignolet, Leander Dion Donker, Yuri Tielemans, Christian Benteke, uh, Michi Batshuayi and Divock Origi up front. They're the top-ranked side in, in the world right now. And even without some of the household names, they're going to present an almighty challenge for Stephen Kenny's men. Mark, if we look at the squad that was named, uh, unfortunately, Mark Travers of Bournemouth and Darlene of Blackburn uh, both had to pull out, being replaced by James Talbot and uh, Jimmy Dunn. But I think overall, for, across the squad, uh, it's probably about as strong as a uh, squad that could be named at the moment. Uh, what were your thoughts when it was announced last Friday? I kind of concur with that, Joe, to be fair. I mean, the interesting ones, I suppose, the headliners were the new uncapped guys. Uh, Mark Sykes is an interesting watch. Switching his allegiance from Northern Ireland to the Republic. I mean, he's had a very solid season with Oxford United in League One. 34 matches, 8 goals, 4 assists. You know, seems to be a very attacking-minded midfielder. Another guy, hopefully, that we can run the rule over, particularly against Lithuania. And Connor Ronan as well is rewarded for a good season with St. Mern with a, a nice little recall as well. I mean, I suppose the notable absentees probably Michael Obafemi. You're a big fan of his, Joe. We might get your comments later on. Shane Long as well. No game time for Southampton. Probably is now the time that we're phasing out the Tipperary native. And Aaron Connolly, I think the fact that he's with Middlesbrough on loan and still can't get into the squad, given the withdrawals, is a saying a bit in terms of the relationship between Stephen Kenny and Aaron Connolly. So, but for the most part, defensive midfield, and maybe apart from maybe the, the inclusion of Scott Hogan for me, along familiar lines. Phil, Mark mentioned the two new call-ups there, Mark Sykes of Oxford United and Conor Ronan, currently a Wolves, but out on loan at St. Mirren. I noticed that Ronan is actually named uh, under the forwards. You know, historically, Kenny has done this in the past. He's named players uh, in squads under positions that they might not be their first choice. Like uh, in the same squad, James McLean is listed as a defender. You know, given that Conor Ronan had worked with the, the Irish manager at, at under-21 level, I think... You know, a few of us have thought that he might actually be part of the, the senior setup already. He scored some fairly spectacular goals in Scotland uh, this season. Uh, what are you looking to see from him uh, over the two games? Yeah, so I think if you, if you go down through the squad, where you talked about it around Christmas time when we were talking about what we thought we'd see or who would be involved in this squad, I think we all kind of agreed that it wouldn't be too experimental, that we'd see nearly our strongest team. But what, what's really noticeable is 
the one area of the pitch that he seems to be experimenting on with the players he's brought in is that role in behind the striker or the most attacking midfielder up through the centre, which will be Ronan's position and Sykes as well. And I suppose the noticeable, noticeable absence there is Jamie McGrath, who, who got his move to Wigan, but it's been stop start. So you can see that Kenny is looking to, maybe he's not totally settled on McGrath either, because I know he dropped him when we were going through that run of two or three games against Portugal. So it's probably one of the areas in the pitch that he's not settled on who he wants to start. And he's obviously looking to get more out of that position. Obviously we were struggling for goals. Thankfully, a few we we started to score goals, but we need to add goals from midfield, and clearly that's what Ronan's been brought into the team for, adding goals from from just outside the box even. So that's probably it's it's definitely the most exciting aspect of this squad to see what he'll do positionally with uh, Sykes or Ronan, because I don't think he'll change his formation and he'll stick with the four two three one. So that that's probably the most interesting aspect of it to see what happens. You know, looking down through some of the stats from the squad, one thing I noticed was that the, despite the average age being kind of what we've come to expect from Stephen Kenny's squad uh, with uh, 26, the average number of caps is quite low. It's uh, just 19. And there's 16 players with less than uh, 20 caps in it. Of the 483 caps uh, named in the squad, you know, a lot of the heavy lifting there has been done by James McLean with 88, Seamus Coleman with 63, you know, Shane Duffy is 51, Jeff Hendrick with 68. Uh, so what we're seeing with with this squad is the kind of the culmination of the last two years under the manager, bringing in uh, new players and, you know, getting them as much experience as possible in the time that he had. Uh, now, the, the trade-off to that is that there's uh, it, it does feel like a very inexperienced squad, but I, I feel like, again, that this is very much Stephen Kenny's squad. Uh, I'm, I'm actually really disappointed that Mark Travers has had to withdraw. I, f- I feel his form for Bournemouth over the last couple of months, you know, and their promotion push from the championship meant that he he deserved to earn his, his fourth cap, you know, even ahead of Keller, who's, you know, scored the winning penalty in, in a cup final. Uh, I think Gavin Bazunu is probably still going to be the number one, uh, but Travers did deserve to, his, his chance to show what he could do. This is going to be the first game without the highly regarded coach, Anthony Barry, in the dugout alongside uh, Stephen Kenny. Uh, but he's been replaced by you know, another highly regarded coach in QPR's John Eustace. If we assume that the formation is going to stay the same, what difference do you think the new coach is going to bring to the squad? Or you know, is it still is it that he won't have enough time to get his ideas across? It's hard to say. They play the same formation at, at QPR. The four two three one, so you do wonder what he'll bring. It's it's hard to know. Like there was a noticeable absence of of pieces on him within the first few hours of him being announced for the job, and I think that's because a lot of people, while being aware of him, were was not were not aware of his portfolio since he since he finished as a player. I certainly wasn't. I read a few pieces since, and he he sounds like an impressive individual who knows exactly what he wants. So it's it's hard to know what he'll bring, especially over the two games. We probably won't see anything too different. Maybe he'll have some some opinions on that section in midfield with Conor Ronan and, and Sykes, maybe. But the, for the first two games, I think it'll just be a settling in period for him. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he has any impact straight away. It's a funny position because 
there wasn't too much about the job since Barry left. There was obviously the initial reaction to, to him leaving and there was a lot of names thrown around. But it must be a fairly a tough gig to find the right man for it because it's it's one of those roles where I would imagine that everybody, well not everybody, but an awful lot of people want to be a coach at an international team if you're a coach already at a club team or, or a a successful enough club team or a high-profile club team, even like QPR in the championship. And I'd say nearly everybody would throw their hat into the ring at some stage. You can imagine the amount of ex-Irish pros that would have probably put their name in the ring. And to actually whittle down and get the candidate that's right for you or for that's right for Stephen Kenny that, that fits his ideology or his philosophy about football, I'd say it's a tough one. But he's obviously seen something in him that he likes and... Hopefully he can have a similar impact to Anthony Barry, however, however great that was. So it, it should be. It, it's more, I'd say, we'll see more at, at the the next round of games, whatever games that are Armenia or Ukraine. So yeah, I think it will probably be the June international window before we start to see the the difference made by the new uh, coach. Phil, we we you know we've mentioned the the new call up there, and I think you know James Talbot coming in from Bohemians. He's been involved in Irish squads before, but it, I, I don't see him getting any, many minutes, if any, across the two games. But, you know, Jimmy Dunn's been playing well for QPR. You know, they're they're just outside the playoff places in the championship. You know, the championship always comes down to the very last game. And, you know, I, I don't think anyone would be surprised to see them in the playoffs uh, come the end of, of May. But, you know, the defence has been fairly settled in the last couple of games. Do you think that Dunn can can unseat any of the the current incumbents? I mean, if you look down through the list, Duffy, Egan, O'Shea, and and Collins, three of those are playing Premier League football, and O'Shea was a uh, was a favourite of Kenny before he got injured. Yeah, it's hard to see at the moment because I suppose Daryl O'Shea is only the, featured fleetingly since his injury, or, or he he had his big injury and he's not long back, and he he's back playing full 90 minutes now for the last while with West Brom and Nathan Collins got his move to Burnley now he's not featuring that much but he's, he's still featuring now and then so it's I couldn't I would put Dunn firmly behind those two but it's it's great to have another option and like I haven't seen a lot of him this year but he, you know he's he's an ever present for QPR and he's, he's good with his feet so he's exactly what we need so look it's it's Along with the goalkeepers, it's our strongest position with Matt Doherty back playing well as well. We're absolutely stacked in our defence. So it's a hard one to break into, but that wouldn't necessarily be a poor reflection on him. It'd be nice to see him get a half of football at least since he's been called up. Don't think there's any reason for him not to get a few minutes. So it should be interesting to see. Looking behind the Belgium game, Mark, we'll be welcome Lithuania on Tuesday night to Aviva Stadium. I have to admit I'm unfamiliar with the Lithuanian squad, so I'm... What we look forward to seeing from them? I suppose, Joe, the unlikely unique circumstance of Lithuania is they're probably coming into this game, probably with a win. Friday night, they're uh, away to San Marino. You'd imagine they should get a win there. But the the calendar year has been wretched for them. 13 games. They've won one game at home to Bulgaria, 3-1 in the World Cup qualification. They lost all their other World Cup qualification fixtures, uh, two games against Northern Ireland. No, they were beaten well at home, 4-1 and lost the return fixture in Windsor Park 1-0 via an OG uh, one draw, and that was against uh, Kuwait. Again, they played the Baltic states, Estonia, Latvia, lost them as well. The dynamic of the squad is very kind of 
in between. An awful lot of old veterans in the side. Uh, if Novo Gas and Simic, they're probably the key goal scorers. You're looking down through the squad, Joe, this afternoon before this podcast. You're struggling to find goals in it. Um, they go very much 4-2-3-1. To be honest, their club football situation, an awful lot playing with Conal Zalbiris and several plying their trades in Greece, Poland, Romania and Turkey. Again, not too many household names here um, from a Lithuanian perspective, but again, we have to kind of base it off the World Cup qualification campaign. It was no, nothing more worse than disappointing for them. So you would hope after an encouraging performance against Belgium on Saturday night, that Ireland should be able to create chances against Lithuania and get a few goals in. Again, the formation 4-2-3-1 should really fit right at home with us. And uh, yeah, I'd be hopeful of a good comprehensive performance there against the Lithuanians. They look like they have a fairly experienced squad, but as you say, not a lot of goals. The two you mentioned there, Novakovic and Czernic, are the only ones in double figures, and with uh, 12 and 11 respectively. But no one else has more than five. Uh, I know. Look, when it comes to goals, you know we we don't have a great record ourselves. James McLean is the the only player in the current squad in double figures. Uh, he is eleven, and uh, Shane Duffy is probably still our biggest goal threat from set pieces. Callum Robinson has has started to score and uh, you know has has seven uh, seven international goals, including including a hat trick. Scott Morgan ten goals this season. Yeah, uh, but he's, he's still to break his international duck. Uh, Scott Hogan was probably one of the, the big surprises uh, in the squad that was named. And some people were saying, why isn't uh, Obafemi in the squad? Why isn't Aaron Connolly in the squad? And, you know, they, they have both given reasons that they're nursing uh, injuries that they don't want to, to make worse. To me, I think given the squads that we have, I, I don't like having to omit them, but I think it's probably for the best in the long run. And uh, Mark, as you say, uh, Shane Long uh, omitted completely despite being a squad regular uh, at Southampton and, and scoring recently as well for for the Saints. Um, I think we've probably seen the end of Shane Long as uh, as a senior international player. I think he, I, I don't know if he will ever formally retire. Uh, he'll, I think he'll always be available for the team, but he, he just won't be picked. You know, some of the comments that I've read about him in Southampton, especially this season, is that he's a you know he's a consummate professional. Uh, he's a good example to the to the, the younger members of the squad to be still playing, uh, still able to play Premier League football at the age he is. Never complains about being left out. Gives it all in training, and if he's called, if he's needed from the bench, he's you know he's available to do the job for Hasenhutl. Yeah, certainly, Joe. I mean, I think Shane Long. I think it's a little bit like Darren Randolph and. I think we'd spoken off air regarding kind of the bans, the banter from Darren Randolph when he heard of the, the call up of Talbot. Um, again, another guy that will never retire from the international scene. But I think you're kind of seeing the vision of Stephen Kenny right now, isn't it? It's really the young guys, the prospects. He's really looking to give the opportunity to. And to be perfectly honest, these are two friendly games that he has to run the rule over. Quite a few of these guys, you know, we talked about Jimmy Dunn. I think I think he's the player of the year for QPR right now. It was an ambitious move from him to go from Burnley in Premier League, where he was a regular squad player, to Loftus Road. And he's relished uh, the opportunity uh, amazingly well. I think with John Hughes there in the assistant coaching role here in Ireland, he's going to get opportunities. He will be called up to squads. And I wouldn't be all surprised if Jimmy Dunn, at the back end of next uh, this season, could be getting a move to the EPL. That's how highly rated I think this guy is. You know, a real good athlete, you know, good in the air, good in the deck. 
and uh, is a, cer- a certain guy that Kenny would definitely have his radar on. But I think it'll take, as you said, Phil, a numerous amount of games and probably training sessions in the international setup to give him the opportunity. It's not the first time he's made a made a move like that as well. You know, he started out at Manchester United and felt he wasn't making the progress he deserved and was happy to go to Burnley to progress through their youth system. So, you know, the move to QPR, if he wasn't feeling like he was going to make any progress at Burnley, the move to QPR might not have been uh, too much of a surprise and, you know, they're, they're reaping the benefits of it at Loftus Road this season. We could see him back in the Premier League before long. He's clearly got his head screwed on because there seems to be this thing with professional players these days, especially younger players, that like you're the finished article by the time you're 22, 23, 24, and that's it. And that's, you know, you should be playing where you're playing. Whereas he clearly feels like he need, if he has to go down a level to learn his trade more to go back up, he'll do it. And that's that's what he's been doing, as you just said. So, like, you could easily see him become a Premier League regular in a few seasons. Like, it's it's much better to be playing solid championship football as a centre-back and learning the trade than not playing at all. So fair dues to him for making a go that a lot of other players wouldn't. They'd hang around, you know. And I suppose, guys, when you consider it, you know, the emergence of Jimmy Dunn right now, I suppose Conor Masterson at the start of the season and QPR thought he probably had a future in the first team. And the way things have gone here, Jimmy Dunn has really kind of emerged as the, the ever-present and not kind of defensive unit for QPR and uh, Masterson is now loaned out, um, which kind of shows the harsh realities of football, I'm afraid. But I'm hoping Conor Masterson here kind of emerges, you know, from his loan spell and kind of reestablishes himself in QPR as well. He's another kind of good prospect, I would say, along the same lines of the Nathan Collins's as well. You know, their two careers have been kind of very similar, except <laughs> the Collins is playing kind of with Burnley and... Uh, Masterson's now uh, is spending town, isn't it, on loan? Uh, but hopefully, again, prospects are there. It's just a case of the hard work. And I think Jimmy Dunn is ticking all the boxes when it comes to all that sort of characteristic. You know, it's not that long since the, la- the European Championship la- final in Wembley last summer. But it's been announced that Ireland are going to be part of a bid for, to host the Euro 2028 uh, Championships in with. England, Wales, Scotland and, and Northern Ireland. We're assuming that Aviva Stadium is, is going to form part of the Irish bid and it looks like Crow Park will be included in, in that as well. Mark, well, what do you think of the, the bid? I mean, we've had failed attempts to be host and co-host of international tournaments in the past, but this looks to, this looks to have a serious chance of passing. The other two bids that are being considered by UEFA are Turkey um, and somewhat unlikely to succeed is is Russia. I suppose my initial reaction was positive because we did miss out on a few of those European Championship games, particularly up in Dublin. Would have been nice to see. The only thing I would say here, guys, is the FAI and the financial structures in the organisation at the moment. I heard Tony O'Donoghue mentioned regarding how UEFA do a, a very much a comprehensive vetting job for stadias to be of world-class standards. I know it's Viva Stadium and everything else, but will there be additional investment required on that? If that is the case, where is the FAI getting the money? It's actually uh, launched this bit along with the, the British Isles uh, associations. I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here, guys, but I think from a costing perspective, do we really know the true cost of hosting this? I know the economic benefits, fair enough, but I think the FAI, they're quite in a financial tightrope at the moment so I would be very interested to see from the FBI the CEO in terms of 
all this UEFA criterion that we'll have to meet, what the expenditure and the expenses will be to satisfy the UEFA heads that be that Ireland and particularly Viva and Crowpark would also have to come into this as well. So the GA would maybe have to be roped in here in terms of some unexpected expenditure here to bet their steady as well. So initial positivity, but I think there's a few questions here that have to be answered by our footballing authorities here, uh, just in terms of uh, how much this will cost probably in the long run. Uh, well, I suppose the good news is we're, you know, we're, we're building enough hotels in Dublin that we should be able to accommodate any number of fans that wish to attend uh, games here in the nation's capital. I was just reading some of the comments online about where teams uh, teams might be based, or you know, would it be possible to to have games outside of Dublin? But you know, I, I don't think we have any other stadiums that would come up to the standard required. But you know, it's possible that uh, somewhere like uh, UL could be serve as a team's base. I know like Munster Rugby have their training facilities in the university. And you know would be at a you know a really high standard, and I think would be perfect for an international football team. You know also the the amount of student accommodation that would be free during the summer months. So that could be interesting. Yeah, I think certainly any of the rugby provinces, certainly any of those um, provincial setups definitely could be used. I think you've Belfield for Leinster rugby, obviously. Connacht are developing the sports ground at the moment, but again there are good facilities around NUIG. University of Limerick, as you said, down in Cork as well. Um, so there are various areas here. I don't know in terms of the Northern Ireland bid, Windsor Park. I, I talk about the upgrades. Windsor Park is going to have to be a significant infrastructural upgrade there on their stadium as well. So, you know, the Kingspan Stadium as well, you know, kind of a, a stadium already there, good to go. I wonder if that will be considered uh, a little bit in terms of the bid. So I think it's pretty intriguing, uh, John, Phil, just in terms of where this hosting of 2028 goals, uh, to be fair. Yeah, I think I read somewhere that it would be Crow Park that would have to be upgraded. Oh, really? Well, and yeah. that the FAI would have to pay for it. Now, to what extent, I don't know. But I don't know, is it just a lick of paint? But apparently Crow Park would have to be brought up to standard um, and it would be the FAI shelling out. Personally, I think it, it seems to be so it seems to be the whole of Britain and the Rep- and the Republic of Ireland that are going for it. So you'd imagine that that would would include the North, and they probably would look at doing something with Windsor Park, as you said, Mark. But uh, like, I think the best outcome, or the I think the best the best way they could do it was would be just have the Aviva, just just have your games in the Aviva. Try and get as many games to the Aviva as you can. Get a couple of group games, three group games, or whatever, four group games or even like three over two weeks or whatever it is, get a quarter final, get a or last sixteen and get a semi final and leave it at that. And and don't spend any money you don't have to spend. And bring in money that way and it would be a success. Like people will get to games. They don't have to do anything with the Aviva. They don't have to do anything with hotels. It's all there ready to go. I think that's that's the most straightforward option. If they start looking at redeveloping GA grounds that they don't own or you know, stuff like that. It's thing it gets messy and and funds go missing and you can't trust the FAI still, so just maybe focus on the Aviva, maybe Crow Park at a push and just leave it at that. That's just my own personal opinion. And it's it's kind of a less stress, more success thing. And take the money out of that and, and reinvest it wisely. But I don't think they need to go spending loads of money to host a tournament. 
it just doesn't really make any sense. Because I certainly see Scotland held a magnificent kind of tournament uh, there last summer, particularly in Hampton Park. You know, you do have Murrayfield, you do have the SPL grounds as well, Wales. Obviously, you have Principality, you have Cardiff City Stadium, you have Liberty Stadium, England, whole host of Premier League grounds. Yeah. So I think they're all well vetted. I think it's just Ireland, the island of Ireland here in this bid. If um, people are going to scrutinise, it will be probably on the Irish side of the bid. You know, it's great to be coming over and stuff like that, but I think it's um, it's probably one to kind of keep an eye on, particularly, you know, I'm not sure, guys, if there is anyone in competition with this bid at the moment. Um, I heard Russia were kind of talking good game in terms of 2032 being a lock for that, which outlandish statement given the circumstances. But uh, if there was a Turkish bid or something there in terms of Azerbaijan or yeah. anywhere else like that, it would be very intriguing to see if it was a two-horse race how the bidding process would actually work there. So so I'm just reading here just quickly. Um, in all, the five associations should comfortably be able to fulfil the stadium requirements set by UEFA, a minimum of 10 stadia in total, one holding at least 60,000, so that would be Wembley, one or preferably two of 50,000, so you'd have Hamden Park or Principality or the Millennium, uh, at least four with a minimum of 40,000 and at least three holding a minimum of 30,000. See, that's only like, so you, you could be talking like 10 or 11 stadiums between the five countries. Like, realistically, what are Ireland going to get? Like, they comfortably get the Aviva for as many games as they could take, you know, and maybe just leave it at that. I'm not dreaming too big here, lads, sorry. Certainly not, Phil. You know, think big, you know. But yeah. I, I would I would like it to be an all Ireland thing. Oh, it'd be ama- it'd be amazing. But the money the money isn't there though. Maybe Crow Park at a push, but but even for the Irish FA as well, you know, Northern Ireland being vested in it as well. Um, that could be the emergency contingency here. But yeah, I think it's an exciting one, uh, Joe. To be fair, you know, I probably was pessimistic there by uh, costings and all that. But I mean, if things do, you know, you know, dot the i's, cross the t's. I mean, it'd be magnificent, you know, atmosphere and occasions. Particularly in Dublin, you know, the economy boost, everything else, FEI getting money in the coffers and hopefully spending it in the right way in terms of generating the revenues and enhancing our grassroots structures. Uh, I mean, I don't want to come down too negatively on it, but I think along with everyone else, I was massively disappointed to miss out on the tournament games from Euro 2020 uh, here last year. And I think, I think co-hosting the tournament uh, with the other four associations in uh, in six years' time, would be uh, would be amazing for football in Ireland, um, and you know for for tourism here as well, as well as the senior internationals that are going on the next week. The men's under 19 team are playing England, Portugal, and Armenia in, in their elite phase qualifiers. Just as we record here tonight, the under 19s are two on down to a very strong in- England side, but apparently playing quite well. They went down, they won down early and brought it back to uh, one on uh, before conceding again just before half time. I think that when the under-19s did qualify for the elite round, um, the consensus was that we wanted to avoid Portugal, who were the top the top seeded team uh, in the, the elite phase. And also we wanted to avoid England, who we knew were going to be uh, hosting. Um, and unfortunately, we got both of them. So I don't think we're going to make it through to, to the finals this year. Uh, it's just it's it's the two best teams, uh, or two of the best teams at this age level, um, and 
uh, unfortunately, it doesn't look like we're going to make it through. And uh, as well as that, it's only the group winners that will go through to the finals. So uh, I think that the the squad that was picked, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of good players in it. There's uh, you know James Abankwa who's going to be moving to Italy. Teo Adaramola, who's been involved with the first team as Crystal Palace. You know, in in midfield, Jack Henry Francis, who's been training with the senior team at Arsenal. Um, and up front, uh, Andrew Warren's playing regularly for the the under 23s side at Brighton. And Ollie O'Neill, who's going to also play for the under 21s this week. Um, earlier today, the under 17s had the first game of their elite phase qualifiers. Uh, they played. Portugal, fortunately, lost 4-1. I felt that the result didn't really reflect the game. Don't get me wrong, Portugal were good value for the win, but I think 4-1 flattered them a little bit, and two of the goals came in, in injury time on 94 and 97 minutes. The under-17s have a slight advantage in that the best seven second-placed sides in the elite phase will go far to the to the finals as well this year. So now, you know, they're... They're playing Finland on uh, on Saturday, and then uh, and then the final game against Bulgaria following on that on Tuesday. So the, uh, this after disappointing first result, um, we're hoping that they can go on to recover um, and and uh, qualify. Now, uh, as well as that, the women's uh, under seventeen side uh, are are hosting their qualifying group. Um, and tonight they're playing their their opening game against Slovakia, and unfortunately find themselves uh, one 0 down just as we uh, as we record. You know, having the tournament here is good for the the women's game here, and um, some of the players are already involved with the, their senior sides. I'm thinking mainly of of the striker Abby Larkin. But after the opening game against Slovakia, we're playing Finland in three days' time before the the final game against Iceland. Now, all these games are going to be in Tallis Stadium, and uh, we hope that the, the girls in green can, can draw a large crowd and cheer them on to qualification. So we hope you've enjoyed our, our brief discussion of the upcoming men senior internationals, as well as the, uh, an overview of the qualifying series that are going on for the various underage sides. Uh, I'm looking forward to discussing the results with Mark and with Phil in about a week's time. I'd like to thank Mark. You can follow him on Twitter at Hawkeye Psychic. And you can like to thank Phil as well. You can follow him at Philip Flanagan. Good talking to you again, lads. Uh, enjoyed the two games. Hopefully, yeah, two, two positive performances at least and a few goals as well. It'd be interesting to see momentum-wise how we can keep, if we can keep it going. I think we can. I definitely think we can. So enjoy the games. Absolutely. No, it should be good. Hopefully the French players get a bit of a go and they impress. Hopefully we'll see a little bit of Mark Sykes. And uh, now we talk about Jimmy Dunn enough a lot in this podcast. Hopefully he gets 15, 20 minutes against the little bit at the very least. But uh, enjoy the games, boys. We look for, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Irish underscore abroad or at Irish Football Statistics on Instagram. We look forward to talking to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.